It lies somewhere between the pit of your stomach, your racing heart, and your brain, somehow trying to keep it all together. It's an area we call the adrenaline zone. I'm retired astronaut Dr. Sandra Magnus. And I'm retired Navy fighter pilot Admiral Sandy Winnefeld. We're two adrenaline junkies who love spending time with people who are really passionate about pushing their boundaries as far as possible. Rebecca Brock Dixon is a busy woman. A mother of three, she also started and sold one business focused on developing a network of moms and has recently embarked on her second business, The Game Hers, focused on building a community of women who game. Turns out that half of the three and a half billion gamers in the world are women. The Game Hers is a community for women who participate in esports and have an interest in technology. Today, Rebecca's gonna let us into the world of esports and how it all works. We're also going to talk about what it takes to start a business and why what Rebecca is doing with The Game Hers is changing the sport. Many thanks to our sponsor for this episode, Culligan Water. With Culligan's drinking water systems, you can get the ultra-filtered water that you need to fuel your high-performance lifestyle right on tap. Learn more at Culligan.com. We caught up with Rebecca at her office in New York. All right, Rebecca Dixon, welcome to the Adrenaline Zone. There's a lot to talk about today. Uh, Esports, how it works what's involved in starting a business from scratch. But let's start with the world of esports. Uh, you come from a family that has invested in esports. So tell us how that evolved and how you got into gaming yourself. So my background is not in esports originally, although it feels funny to say that because now it's what I live and breathe. I am a mom of three kids. I have a corporate professional background in media buying and advertising. That's what I spent my 20s doing and I loved it. It gave me a a real passion for brands and branding and human nature and who likes what and all of that has evolved over time. But at the core, it's still something that I'm really passionate about. And right around the time I was starting a family, I switched out of the corporate world into the entrepreneurial world, but still advertising. I joined two of the co-founders of the GameHers at their parenting company, and it was a community for expectant and new parents. So great experience. I helped them. They had a lot of brands who were interested in reaching new parents. So I helped them facilitate that, grow the company and sell it. So how I got into esports in 2016, I was still a mom and somebody who had just sold the company and trying to figure out what to do next with my life. I love the entrepreneurial world. I like many, many things about it. It's it's exciting. It's um, certainly a, a lot of adrenaline in the in the entrepreneurial world on a daily, if not hourly basis. And I was just, try, you know, really interested in a lot of different industries. So I started paying more attention than I had before to what my dad and my brother had invested in, and then become very involved with the esports team, Team Envy. So. A few years before that, my brother had been working in the investment world. He was working for a VC. He was trying to identify new new industries that were going to become big. And it's actually always fascinating to me. The gaming and esports industry already was big. The statistic that everyone loves to quote is that gaming is 
twice the size of the movie plus the music industry. So you take movie plus music times two, gaming is still bigger than that. So I thought, wow, I'm, I kind of want to learn more about that. And esports is the professional side of gaming and women are half of gamers. So those statistics alone caused me to become really interested in esports, women, community around women. It was their community for women in gaming. And I can tell you a lot more, but that's what got me here. As a typical male, I admit it, I was really amazed to hear that half of what, 3.5 billion gamers in the world are women. That's just, that's amazing. Yeah, it's growing all the time, but it's around there. Yeah, we're going to get a little more into that later, but we probably need to rewind and start from scratch because I didn't know really anything about esports until we started talking. So maybe we need to start there. It's like, okay, how is it structured? What is it? How do the teams work? Just as a general intro for our listeners on the whole concept of esports. Sure. It's a complex question because you can think about it kind of like a sport, but because, you know, nobody owns soccer or nobody owns football and all of the games that are in esports are, are video games. So at the core Esports is professional video gaming. It is a word that has become used a little bit generically to mean a lot of different things. But one way to think about it is there are video games, people play them, they've played them for years. And as time has gone on, a lot of the video games are uh, team games. And so you can kind of think about it in the same way that you may enjoy watching you know, Monday night football or college baseball. If you're an avid video gamer, then watching somebody play video games is interesting or could be interesting. And so uh, is to a lot of people for sure. There are leagues for certain games that are professional. There is a lot of development in the collegiate space around leagues in a lot of different games. Some are more focused towards, you know, since there, I mean, since I come from the place of where women play, women play all of them, um, but there's some that are more more, more focused or have a higher percentage of um, women. But, you know, it, there are a lot of different kind of setups. If you want to think about the path to pro, like I'm a kid and I like playing video games, how can I become a pro? I mean, the reality is a little bit like playing basketball on your middle school team and saying, I want to join the NBA. It's not easy, but, and it's even probably less clear because there's not just one path. There's not T-ball to baseball to camps in the summer than to the, to the NBA or um, the MLB. Uh, However, there are things you can do. You can, uh, first of all, play a lot and play on teams is a, you know, a good way to do it. Meet people. It's actually a big networking space. And so if somebody, let's say you're playing a video game and, and you happen to be really good and you think you might be good enough to be pro one day, what a lot of people in that scenario will do is stream. Um, so for people who aren't familiar with, with what streaming means, it means playing video games on a platform where people can watch you. And then, you know, joining a team um, is always a great thing. There are tournaments that aren't a part of let's say, a pro league that might just pop up. So we'll get into what I do right now at the Gamehurst more, I'm sure. But, you know, even the Gamehurst may sponsor or or host um, or coordinate a tournament just for fun. Um, We just did one recently with Benefit Makeup. 
So if you, you know, if you can join a tournament with a team and win that tournament, you're going to get visibility. And then if you look at the pro teams that are, like I said, they're not consistent in how they're organized, but there are various leagues. If you win a tournament at a online or at an, if, at an in-person place, uh, you might get noticed. So that is a, a sort of a laundry list of some of the ways, uh, you know, in along the path to pro, but it's, it, it is a little complicated, but I think at the end of the day, if the best way to think about what is esports is, do you like to play video games? If you do, do you like to watch them? The professional side of video games. So I would imagine that if, if, if you're a team owner and you want to succeed, you're going to do like baseball does and have scouts and looking for people, as you just suggested. But how about once you actually get to be a pro, is there, is there a draft or, you know, how are the players paid? You know, can they be traded? You know, how does that sort of league vibe work in terms of the players? It's all still evolving, truly. Um, it, there's no, there's not really a draft there. They can be definitely, they move from team to team. The paying is also a little bit still evolving. So one thing that's interesting also about esports e teams is there are a lot of people for sure who love watching professional esports. And in the way that you think of a professional esports league operating like a professional sports league. That being said, there are also are a lot of people who like in addition to that, may like watching a one person play a video game on their team, but there still could be one person. There could be sort of like the LeBron who, you know, stands out alone or, <laughs> um, so a lot of the pro esports organizations right now are really trying to figure out how they're going to stay in business. And it's the team, it's the, you know, and a lot of them, by the way, have multiple teams because they can, because there are multiple games. So if you think about an organization that has, you know, maybe they have three different games that they're, that they have teams in, and then they might have, who knows, 10 to 15, or it could be more, it could be less. And it, sometimes they're called content creators. Sometimes they're called streamers, but just individuals who are their own brand, but then they also operate under that same team brand. And the reason for that is it's hard to monetize these teams as this industry is still evolving. Now, all you have to do is go to a pro esports event and you will see that the fan base is phenomenally engaged. I mean, they are, it really feels like, you know, there was just the League of Legends worlds are in New York where I am located right now, Wednesday to Sunday, three weeks in a row. And they're at Madison Square Garden. They sell out. I mean, it's unbelievable. And that being said, it's it's all a big, you know, an expensive sports production. And so the teams are teams and they're also media companies. So if I'm a fan and I'm going to an event, what am I watching? How does the competition work? Is there like a a ring in the center and people are sitting on computers and there's big display monitors. And I mean, people can play video games without an end. So how do you, how do you create a competition? Yes. Yes. To all of it. That's why the league of legends worlds are three weeks long. Oh, wow. Yeah. And yes to, you know, you picture a, a big event space like the garden or the Barclays center or whatever. People are getting suites. They're on the stage. It's the, the, Gamers are set up there. There's coaches and, you know, nutritionists and, and, and all of the supporting people are down there. All the sponsors, the, sh the jerseys, the mics, the energy drinks, 
the chairs. Uh, yeah, I've got, my, I've got my respawn gaming chair right here that I have from one of our partners. And then, yeah, huge screens. And then you have people on their phones checking all the stats, just like uh, not unlike things are today at, you know, a baseball game. Although, you, of course, you know, you want to think that everyone's just watching the game. But it's really fascinating. And then tons of activations around the outside with all of the different brand sponsors. And, you know, maybe there's a VR thing over here and maybe there's a, um, a Doritos competition, you know, on this side. And it's pretty fascinating. You live to embrace risk in the air, on the slopes, and anywhere your determination takes you. But when it comes to the drinking water that fuels your adventures, you're not looking to take chances. With cutting-edge filtration that can target contaminants as small as a single atom, Culligan's reverse osmosis filtration systems deliver the next-level hydration you need to keep working at peak performance, whatever the day brings. Get started by scheduling your free water test at Culligan.com. So you've got you've got these players that are you, the, the audience can see them in their sort of pit or whatever you call it, and then there are screens. And so with a Call of Duty tournament, I imagine there are a couple of players on each side, and you're seeing all each screen for each person. That is amazing that you could picture that experience and ask that question because it's something that I was curious. What is that job like? What career is that? The person who's watching and making the decision for what should be on screen. Because by the way, there are broadcasters, shoutcasters, you know, judges, all of these different roles in terms of, again, just like umpires, refs, all of that. So to answer your question, different things are shown at different times. In the Call of Duty tournament that I went to, by the way, I got into this business in March of 2020, which is two and a half years ago, most of which was COVID. So I, to date, have been to only one pro esports tournament and it was phenomenal. You just need to go to go, go to one to see what it is. And now I can't wait to go to a million more. So I can, from a firsthand experience, I'll give you how that one was, but then also you, it's very similar. If you watch some of these online, it was the game and then little asterisks or like kind of red lights where each person was. But then if it got to the point and ahead of time, the person who's coordinating the screen, I guess the producer would no to, you know, you so often would be focused in on one person and then that person would die or that person would win or, you know, that win that round or whatever. So it was, it was obviously to get into a position where you could have that as your job. You have to know a lot about games. Yeah. Do they do slow motion, instant replay for a particularly sanguine <laughs> moment? <laughs> I don't think they did slow motion replay, but they definitely did replay. So there's this arena. So this is like watching golf or tennis, right? So the audience is probably people who play the games, but at a more amateur level, but the pros are really good. So the fan base then, they're cheering their people on. They know something. Most of them know something about the game. So there's probably a lot of energy in the fan base. During the event? Yeah. And actually, it's funny that I used golf and tennis. Um, I haven't been to a ton of golf, live golf. I've been to a lot of live tennis and it's a little bit not it's I should have said it's like um, going to like a college basketball game okay, or like a pro basketball. You know, when the players arrived on stage, it was like madness. You know, I mean, you, it was just complete celebrity freak out. And all the colors of each team were there. They all have cheers. It is literally like a sporting event. 
they all have nicknames and, you know, they were giving the heart giving. Of course, there's some teams just like any any sporting league that are more known for being nice fans and less nice fans <laughs> and taunting. And, I mean, it was really, really pretty amazing. That's incredible. So, you know, now we get to the point about your participation in that fan base. Uh, it turns out that, uh, as we mentioned earlier, a huge proportion are women, but it can be a tough space for women, right? Who are online playing these games. And you are, uh, you, have, you have your startup, which is called The Game Hers, and I'll spell that, you know, T-H-E-G-A-M-E-H-E-R-S, but it's kind of a, kind of a wordplay, The Gamers. And what is your business intended to do to support uh, that fan base? So you already said the numbers. There are about 3 billion and growing gamers in the world. Half of them are women. And yes, there are a lot of challenges for women in gaming, for sure. And that's something that's gotten a lot of press over the years. There's, you know, the word toxicity is used a lot, both in game for even just casual players and also in the professional side of gaming in terms of career advancement. And that being said, there are also, a, if, there, if half of gamers are women, there are also a lot of phenomenally special and wonderful and impactful stories that include those women. And so having a background in, I, I mentioned my background in branding, but also in community building, my co-founders and I felt like, you know, that we, I think we can most likely generally all agree, especially coming out of the pandemic, that at the core, uh, human nature is to want community on some level. And we thought, well, if there are so many women gamers, and if nobody really knows that, I mean, it, it doesn't seem like there are. This was in 2020, so it's much better by now, certainly not just because of what we're doing, but I like to think a part of it. But we thought, you know, that's not reflected in the media. It's not reflected in the protagonist of games. It's certainly not reflected in the percentage of women in the professional side of gaming at any level, entry level, you know, all sort of um, ways you slice and dice the various career paths, C-suite, all of it. And we thought, where do they go to be together, find community, learn about women in gaming? You know, where, where would you go to find, like, who are the women gamers I should be following? And where are the mentors, if I want to enter, enter the industry, who might, you know, look and feel like me? So we, we launched our company in March of 2020 with the intent to create some discussion and some space for communities to form around the, you know, sort of the topic of women in gaming. We, we by the way, are inclusive to everybody. Um, men are allowed into, in our community. We have a, a large percentage of LGBTQ um, in, in our community. And, and, and it's a women's, you know, women-centered space, but no one was talking about women in gaming really before that. So what we created in terms of a brand and a, and a media platform and a community um, for women in gaming resonated and we were able to grow um, very quickly. So that was the original idea and where we are today, it, it's continuing to evolve. We have, a, we have three quarters of a million women in our network at this point, And that's across a whole host of platforms and our app and discord and Twitch and socials. And we can talk about all of that. And we want to continue to grow that community, but we're also looking to, and we can get into the whole adrenaline behind a startup, but pivot a little bit and see how we can make sure to stay in business and grow. Just to be clear, you have a community for women who want a game, 
So on the player side, but also women who want to get into the profession of working with games, designing games, and maybe even putting on events? It's a really good question. First of all, the overlap between women who play video games and women who would like to work in the video game industry is high. That's one thing. And the other thing, which is probably more important, is that we are sitting in a moment in time when gaming is intersecting with uh, quite literally everything from education to healthcare to, you know, the military to kids, adults. And so the word gaming itself, the video game industry itself almost needs a little bit of a a rebrand, PR makeover. And so what we describe ourselves as, you know, the go-to place for women in gaming. If you want to get a job, great. We have jobs. If you want to just find other people who game, great. Got it. If you want to, where's the next women's esports tournament? You know, what makeup brands are working in, in esports? Because I'm a cosplayer, um, which is, I don't know, a cosplayer is somebody who dresses up as their, as their favorite video game character and they, you know, really um, are total professionals at that. And so there's just so many different ways to do it. Um, and so we're, you know, media company, go-to place for women in gaming. And as a company, as a, you know, a business the way we're going to be able to kind of stay in business to keep doing that is to to really create um, tangible value for entities that would like to have access to people, to women in gaming and people who are interested in women in gaming, which is half the population. Because the final statistic I'll leave you with on this topic is 99% of Gen Alpha games. So it's just everybody. You mean we have another Gen Oh yeah. oh, yeah. I did not know that, by <laughs> yeah. the way. Yeah. Oh, we're starting over. It was Z for a while, and now we're back to Alpha. We uh, are. Yeah, it's so my I've, kids. That's why I know it. Okay. Wow. So, so a question for you. I, you know, the actress Olivia Cook played, you know, sort of double duty in Ready Player One, the film. She played the, the sort of rebel Samantha and also her avatar, Artemis. And I'm wondering whether, as you started this company up, whether that was sort of lurking in the back of your mind, is she sort of a folk hero at all, or we've gone past that? No, I, I, it's, it's such a great question. And um, I have totally never been asked that, but I would say no, not that we have gone past that. We've actually come full circle to that because uh, yes, it was in my mind. I read the book Ready Player One during um, lockdown. I couldn't so, put it down. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely on my mind. and. I I loved it. I thought it was just fascinating. And I mean, I read it just as in, you know, I was on lockdown, starting a business, you know, home, uh, Zoom schooling with my kids. And um, that's when I read it. So, so that was on my mind. What wasn't on my mind when we launched was uh, Web3 or the metaverse, because I didn't hear the word metaverse until six months after we launched. And then I was actually speaking on a panel one time and I was asked the question, what is your view on the metaverse? And so I quickly got off that panel and regrouped with my team. And I'm like, we need a view on the metaverse. <laughs> and that was, you know, a year, a year and a half ago. But um, I think Ready Player One is is a really interesting setup beyond just the fact that, you know, you mentioned that the, the hero of the, of the story, but just the where kind of how that Gen Alpha that we were just talking about is going to interact in the world um, there are some people who believe that, you know, everything is just going to be in the metaverse. And then there are other people who think the whole meta metaverse is ridiculous. And I think it's probably somewhere in between because um, 
I see my own kids weave in and out of discussions around things that they do online versus things they do in person versus things they do in Roblox, or, you know, games. It's all just natural to them to be in and out. So that's a little bit more answering the, the, um, that sort of avatar piece of the question. But in terms of is she a folk hero, we are always looking at, um, at women in the history of gaming who we can highlight and, and, and emulate and make sure you know, aren't forgotten. And so actually the star in our, or the asterisk in our, in our logo is a throwback to the first professional video game player who played Qbert in that little asterisk is from Qbert. And then we also got the majority of our first group of followers was from um, just a friend of ours who played a, a character named Susan Grimshaw in Red Dead Redemption 2, which is a Western game. And she was really popular because Susan Grimshaw was like a really tough, just Western character, as opposed to a lot of the characters historically who were uh, women in video games were, you know, very sexy and wearing like bikinis and, you know, those kinds of things. And so she was always somebody that we really loved. And again, we're really, we're really lucky. That's changed a lot. You're passionate about pushing yourself to always be better. Culligan's water experts feel the same. That's why their smart reverse osmosis filtration systems do more than deliver the ultra-refreshing, pure-tasting water you deserve. Their app also lets you set drinking water goals, see water quality information, and get filter change alerts. And with cleaner, safer, great-tasting water available right from the tap, you can also feel good about all those single-use plastic bottles you're saving from landfills. So get started today by scheduling your free water test at Culligan.com. You talked a little bit about the importance of the, the strong woman character as opposed to the ones running around wearing bikinis and so forth. So can you talk about the barriers and the stereotypes in the gaming community that you're trying to break down via this community? Yes, uh, de- definitely. Because I think that, you know, that's really what we are all about at the core. I think there's a lot of actual um, writing on this and a variety of different opinions, but why the video game space as for consumers and also as an industry, why it evolved to be so heavily um, male or at least to be perceived as so heavily male is it has a couple of reasons. One of them really, quite frankly, is that video games were put in the boys section in toy stores in the 80s. It's like the it's like one of the main reasons. And I am a child of the 80s. And my brother got video games and I didn't. And that's just how it was. It's not that I didn't play. I did play with him some. But as a brand marketer and someone who grew up in advertising, it's pretty powerful. So if you just feel like they're for boys, they're for boys. Um, That's one thing. So then the other thing, well, not the only other thing, but another element of the situation is video games historically had a reputation of being you know, somebody isolating in a basement, kind of degenerate. Uh, Did that ever happen? Yes. Was that ever what it was primarily? Probably not, really. Um, It's hard to, to know for sure. But a lot of the power and value of video games is, again, something that we all need, uh, certainly crave, but need as humans, which is play. So, um, if you're playing a video game with a group of boys and you kind of 
fast forward that story to adulthood, then you're on a team of, of primarily men and a primarily male, you know, dominated field. It's just, it's not that anybody said, let's cut all the women out. It just, that, that, that is one way, uh, one thing that evolved. So what are we trying to break down now in this field that even as recently as a few years ago was perceived to be very heavily male? There always have been women and there have always been great women. So before we launched our company at all, when I first was chatting with my dad and my brother about their investment in Team Envy, and I heard all these statistics, and I thought it'd be great to to dig a little deeper. We talked to quite literally thousands of women in a variety of different ways, focus groups, surveys, on social media, on the phone, in person. We were able to go to two. There's an event called PAX, which is similar to Comic-Con, which is a little bit more widely known outside the industry, but PAX is a a conference, a, an expo that is for people who love video games. And we went to two PAXs before we launched. So we did all of this really on the ground um, research. And what we found overwhelmingly is that, yes, there's toxicity. Yes, there is, you know, harassment. I mean, some of the things that are said, which are not not generally what we lead with at the Gamehurst, because it's just not it is discussed a lot and we talk about it and we partner with initiatives in this space, but we don't usually you know, lead with the words toxicity and harassment because most of these women want to talk about all the great stuff, you know, how they met their best friends through, through video games, how they got their career through video games, how they had some serious mental health problems and video games were a tool that they were able to use. And in fact, one of our strongest partners is or one of our most long-term partners is the Center for Air Suicide Awareness. And one of their main tools that they use is uh, gaming. So it's just fascinating. That's amazing. So here's a question for you. I, um, I'm often asked, you know, what about this generation? And don't they do terribly in the military and everything's woke and all that kind of stuff? And, and I come back and among the many other things that I tell people about how great this generation actually is for the military, I tell them that their, their electronic hand-eye coordination is phenomenal. Partly because they grew up gaming, right? Yeah. And if you look at the fighter airplane that I flew, we may have had you know three or four buttons on the stick and four or five buttons on the throttle. The airplanes these days are amazingly complex, just from where you put your hands. And a lot of the people flying those airplanes are women. Uh, my daughter-in-law is flies in the backseat of an EF-18 Growler, one of the most sophisticated airplanes on the planet, and she's back there doing her thing, right? So do you have any thoughts within your business in terms of how that relates uh, forward of, of this is not only fun, but it is also in a, an increasingly technical world? Yeah. There's so much research on this, and then there's also... What I should say is the data is so compelling and it's so current that it's almost hard to keep up with what the research sort of uh, findings are. But the over, just basically an overwhelming yes. And, and then once you spend just a little time reading about it and thinking about it, it's like, yes, obviously. <laughs> Another example that I could give you is I was talking to my, one of my doctors the other day and he said something very similar about surgeons. He's like, yeah, the best surgeons are all gamers. I mean, obviously, <laughs> you know, um, there's a really neat graphic that I would actually love to share with you after. And it talks about what are all the careers in the esports industry. So 
The other thing I want to tell you is the esports industry that we discussed earlier was very like sports professional leagues. That term is also sometimes just used for esports and video game industry. So uh, if somebody says, what are all the careers that you could have in the esports industry? It actually doesn't. It could mean if you like to play a video game when you're a kid, what are all the things you could do with that? And it's just it's like a really nuanced thing. But I, I always like to mention it because if people are thinking about this, that's where some of the the articles are titled that the research is around that. So what are all the careers? It's almost endless. So one reason is there's so many different genres of video games, but you brought up a good point, which is just even moving the controller takes a level of um, finesse that if you've never used a controller before, you're not intuitively going to be good at. And so certainly the military is one of the, um, one of the kind of, you know, light bulb moments you can, that seems to be a kind of, a kind of path. And then, and then medicine, I brought up those two, but even in um, in that esports kind of sports league world, these people operate like sports teams. So they have nutritionists, they have physical therapists, mental health coaches. Also, when you think about making a video game, of course, computer science and game design, game development, all of that is maybe a little bit obvious, but um, you know, or maybe not. But it's it's sort of intuitive at, at first. But then there. Are, all of these sort of other careers around it, PR, event management, graphic design, the number of people in the video game industry who are at the core artists is incredible. And you might not ever think that you'd, you'd think, oh, but it's such like a technical field. And it's technical, but it's art. I mean, art, it, you know, in the future of where, you know, the d Gen Alpha is going to grow up in, there, there's going to be a technical aspect to to so many of it. And somebody, you know, created what the video game characters look like and what world they're in and all of that. So this graphic that I have, it's just like a spider web of all the different doors, writers, the storylines that open. And it's really amazing. Another phrase that's thrown around a lot is esports as a path to STEM. So, you know, just it, it, esports or esports equals STEM. And that also kind of reminds me of, to bring up the point that I think is, is, is another important one, which is there are a lot of conversations about the negative aspects of video gaming. And I literally just came from a meeting at my kid's school this morning around screen time and how to manage it in today's world. And as a parent, I mean, of course, I don't want my kids just playing video games all day, every day and doing nothing else. And I mean, they're 10 and 12 and five, and they have things to learn and places to be. but. There is less discussion around the many, many, many benefits to playing video games. We just discussed some of them, the career pieces of it. We talked about mental health, I think also for community building. So how will you know? What's the measure of success or the metric that you're using to know if you're having an impact on the, the larger gaming sector? What would you like to see as an outcome of the organization that you formed? We've been asked before. <laughs> sort of facetiously, what are you going to do when you're not necessary anymore? And I think the answer to that question is what people always do like communities that feel, you know, like-minded people. And I mean, I'm in a million women's groups and other places in my life. So I don't necessarily know that will not be necessary as a community space, the go-to place for women in gaming, but how will we be successful? That's a, that's a tricky one. As an entrepreneur, I'm always thinking of I have a team. I want to make sure that we stay in a 
with a healthy business model so that we can pay our team. One of the reasons we launched as a for-profit instead of a for instead of a nonprofit is so that we could have the resources to hire people to facilitate jobs, other jobs, and to really make a broader impact. So from a business perspective, I'm looking to, you know, grow our resources and and be as successful for our, our investors on a long-term basis. From a mission-based perspective, you know, there was the story recently about the founder of Patagonia giving away his company. And we did this this exercise in a where we were accepted into a venture capital sports tech accelerator. And they they have a few different activities that we do um, just to kind of make us think of questions like the one you just asked us. And we were saying, you know, wouldn't it be great one day if we felt like it's hard to say what would have had to happen, but enough had happened where we felt like we could give our company away. So he gave his company away to all two initiatives and, you know, the company's still operating and everything, but he gave whatever piece of it was still his a way to climate change. I think so if we get, if we were in a position where maybe it's that esports was in the Olympics, which by the way, it's likely going to be so. And, and, you know, a, a female had won the gold medal from the, you know, and, then X, Y, Z metrics had happened and we felt like we could give the company away because our work was kind of done. What needs to be done there? It's because it's such a complex industry. It's, it's so broad. Do half of all teams need to be women? I mean, that's just a tricky question to ask everywhere right now, but I think the answer is there is definitely room for us now on the mission side of things. I think there will always be room on the community side and we're just really thrilled to be a big part of that journey. Well, it's interesting the the overlap. Uh, I hadn't really thought that much about the overlap between gaming and other things like we talked about, you know, pilots and things. You know, just a couple of reflections. One, women in STEM. I have to give a, a shameless plug for Sandra has a, a great nonprofit called Astra Femina, which I think uh, people ought to check out if they're interested in, in getting girls into STEM careers. And, you know, a good friend of mine, Gilman Louie, who's on the President's Intelligence Advisory Board with me, he ha- was in the gaming industry before he stood up the uh, the CIA's uh, venture capital firm that they use, you know, and has brought that considerable expertise from that industry into some pretty unique things that, that they've been able to do. So there's a lot of intersections there that are more important than people might imagine. Yeah, I think the STEM, first of all, I can't wait to check out um, Astro Femina and learn more about it. The STEM piece is so important for young girls because we've talked a lot about for these this generation of kids and probably all of them but especially this one if we are going to be successful as parents as educators and as you know stewards of this next generation we do need on some level to meet them where they are um and if we continue to say like get off the screen and did it well, then they're just not going to interact with us and because they're going to be doing some version of Broadly, 99% of them are going to be playing video games, right? So why not use what is already a natural path to get to intentionally say, by the way, that video game you're, you're playing, you have a coach, you have teamwork, you have accountability, you're learning eye-hand coordination, you're getting skills that can lead to six-figure salaries out of right out of college. And, you know, another statistic that I love is that kids who play on esports teams are more likely to, a lot of the stuff I just said, like the six-figure salary at college, but more likely to volunteer in life and be 
compassionate and charitable. And, you know, the data behind that statistic, I don't have off the top of my head, but it makes sense. I mean, you're, you're on a team, you're learning responsibility and uh, disappointment and um, hard work. And it's just, it's, it's a lot of the same skills in other places, just a little harder to see at first. Well, you know, Rebecca, we could probably talk for hours on this, I'm sure, but we're running out of time. So we're going to stop on this note about women in STEM, which is near and dear to my heart, and really just want to thank you for spending some time with us. Thank you for what you're doing. It has a huge impact. I mean, when you think about it, the numbers you've thrown out, basically half the people on the planet are gamers. Half. It just boggles my mind and, and clearly getting women more engaged and highlighting what women are doing there is super, super important. So thanks for doing what you're doing. Well, thank you. And I hope you two get to a, a pro esports tournament sometimes. I think you both enjoy it. I'm going to go. I have to I check it out to. for sure. Yeah. Thanks again. Thank you. I appreciate it so much. That was gamer and esports entrepreneur Rebecca Brock Dixon. I'm Sandra Magnus. And I'm Sandy Winnefeld. Thanks again to Culligan Water for sponsoring this episode. Get exceptional water for exceptional performance. Learn more at Culligan.com. And check us out on social media, including a short video of our interview with Rebecca on TikTok. Our handle is very simple, at The Adrenaline Zone.